Good morning or good afternoon. I always want to say that. Good afternoon, Remy. Afternoon, Breck. How's it going back there? It is going well. I know that you said that it was super hot in California today. I think it's not as hot as it usually is, but I feel hot because I just got in from giving a lesson. So it's a little bit warmer than normal. Yeah, I'm uh, warmer, warmer than normal. It, uh, it's been so nice here. Um, pretty humid. Uh, storms have been rolling through. Yesterday, it was so humid. It was like really high 80s and then storms rolled through and cools off. It feels good. But this weekend was awesome. How was your weather this weekend? It was gorgeous, like mid 80s. It's super dry around us, so we don't deal with humidity. So, you know, it's breezy and it feels cool. Like 4th of July night, we were wearing sweatshirts watching fireworks. So not here, not here. It was beautiful, though. Um, Well, looks like some people are starting to hop on. So uh, I guess we can get started. It is two o'clock. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. Welcome to Coffee with the Cowgirls. I'm Brett Kruger. And I'm Remy Greer. Um, last week, for those of you who may have seen, was kind of a monumental week for us. Um, well, not only are Remy and I getting getting in a more consistent groove of doing with Coffee with Cowgirls on Wednesdays at two, but uh, Remy made something happen that I've been dreaming of for a long time. She got a podcast going for Coffee with the Cowgirls, and you can find that on Apple Podcasts. You can download us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Spotify and make sure that you follow us. It just gives us more ability to reach a larger larger audience if you guys follow us on either iTunes or on Spotify. Uh, Remy and I just had a really good laugh because I just Googled Coffee with Cowgirls and (laughs) a little notification popped up that... um, Coffee with the Cowgirls has, what it, What was the number, Remy? I can't it's even. It's like 0.00917 million of dollars. Like that's what we're worth. So that yeah. sounds about right right now. Yeah, I said, sounds about right, Remy. Uh, so we we're both dying laughing uh, this afternoon. Um, but we don't do this for the money. We do this because we love to do it and hopefully educate, help uh, steer somebody in the right path or direction. And yeah. And let people know that they're not alone out there. And that's oh. a big deal, especially for mothers and especially in a world where we're all kind of disconnected in a different way than we used to be disconnected. Yes, absolutely. Uh, today, Remy and I are, well, we've kind of been putting together a list of things that we'd like to talk about in motherhood or, you know, the things that come along with motherhood. That was something that we both said that we wanted to have a discussion on. And so we're going to tackle that one today. And when I was thinking about things that we should talk about around motherhood, um, as I'm seeing it in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is such a big topic and a broad topic to talk about. Uh, Remy and I both like to talk, so we could we could be on here for hours today. No, and it's, you know, it's, uh, and so if we don't touch on something in this, trust me, we will come back to motherhood in another podcast but, you know, and we're also doing it as a podcast. You guys can listen to it and not have to watch us the entire time. It's a lot easier to pop your headphones in and join us like you're having a conversation with us. Absolutely. Uh, if you're joining us today live, please tell us hi. Tell us that you can hear us. Remy's audio is fantastic today. She made a few changes. Um, if you have any questions at any point in time, too, please uh, let us know in the chat and we'll be sure to answer that. So should we dive in, Remy? Let's dive in. All right. Um, well, motherhood. Hi, Michelle Cheek. Uh, motherhood is one of you know the greatest gifts that you can be given. Um, no matter if you're if you are the one birthing the child or if you are adopting, um, no matter what your circumstances, it's a great gift. Uh, it's a, definitely a gift that does not come with a book. So. It's kind of trial by fire. And just when you think you have it figured out, the next one is totally different than the first one. Yeah. So like they always joke that your first one lulls you into this false sense of security. And it's true. Like my first kid was easy. Everything was easy. Nursing was easy. He just was always an easy keeper. And my second one I, came out like hell on wheels. I was like, <laughs> just kidding. I thought I knew how to be a mom. And then I had that one. And then you still had two more. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it was kind of the same for me. My first pregnancy was, 
gosh, it was not, not textbook by any means. Bodie, I carried him weird. I gained a lot of weight to the point that I was unrecognizable with him. And I carried, because I was carrying so much fluid. So it wasn't like, you know, one of those, those people that was like super cute pregnant woman who, um, yeah, I don't even know. I couldn't even wear shoes with him at the end. I, it's, so some people really love being pregnant and enjoy it. I never super enjoyed being pregnant, like, cause I always had stuff to do. And I don't mean that. I was like, you know, I was like, man, this belly's getting in the way, but then I love being a mom. I just didn't love being pregnant. And some people really love being pregnant. And I know I was pregnant four times, but I didn't really love being pregnant. They do love being a mom. Like I wouldn't trade my boys for anything. But at first you're like, man, I don't know how to make, I don't know how to get around this body and like weird stuff. I, I had a really bad miscarriage after my first one before my second one. And I'll tell you, like, as a woman, it made me question my body. And then when any, like, and I'm not a worrier, but when anything would go feel a little bit off with my next pregnancies, it really makes you worry because, you know, I've been in the hospital ready for a blood transfusion because that's how bad the miscarriage was. And then that takes away some of the joy of those pregnancies too, is that you're always worried about a bad outcome. And luckily I didn't have any bad outcomes, but it was, I mean, aside from the miscarriage, but it was, it, 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 it takes away a little bit of the joy because you're always worried something's going to go wrong. I was one of those people, Remy, who, um, when I was, you know, everybody dreams. There's a lot of people who dream about being a mom when they're little. I was not one of those people. I mean, I'm pretty sure that I had my mom and dad convinced that I was not having kids. I was always going to adopt. I mean, that was my, I always said that I, I never thought I would have kids. I thought that I probably would adopt. And I think I didn't want to have kids because I was, I'm scared of doctors. I really don't like hospitals. And I'm like, I can't, my body cannot do that. I, I'm not doing it, but I guess plans change and your thoughts change. And yeah. Uh, James comes from a big family. And so I knew he wanted kids and we got married when I was probably tw- I think I was 21 when we got married and we were writing our thank you notes in the airport for our honeymoon. And I said, I know you want kids. I'm not ready. And I know it'll have kids for you, but I'm just not there yet. And goes, let's talk about it in five years. Cause we had a lot of stuff we wanted to do anyway. And I'm not going to joke. Like, I'm not joking. I woke up like on our fourth anniversary and I was like, you know what? I'm ready to have kids. Like I'm ready to do this. But it's the same thing. Like I wasn't someone that dreamed of having kids and it wasn't because I didn't like children or anything. I just never saw myself as a mom, but it was for me like overnight. I woke up and I was like, Oh, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to have kids. I want to have kids. I'm not just doing it to do it. Like, this is what I want to do now. And it was crazy for me. Cause I just, I didn't think I'd, ad- I didn't think I'd adopt. I just, we had a lot of kids that came through our barn. And so you kind of mother them in a different way. And I was just like, yeah, that's enough for me. And then all of a sudden it wasn't enough. It was just great. Now I got four boys. So I think that's what happened to me too. And as soon as we decided to have kids, um, and I went off birth control. I was pregnant within that week. It was no turning back. No, and it's it's same thing. Like once we started, like I say, I think I had Kyle right before our fifth or sixth anniversary because we talked about it. We wanted to make sure we had everything in place. But as soon as we decided to have kids, it was the same way. Then we got pregnant, and then James really wanted a girl. So we have four boys. James really wanted a girl. Oh, I remember that's why. Yeah, you know. And every time we're like in the ultrasound room, and like our boys were always like feet penis in the middle like there was no missing it I was just like it's another boy it's another boy so we're not trying anymore James no we're good he we're good (laughs) yeah I I always wanted a girl too and um I I've got a really well I've got a lot of beautiful nieces but I've got one that lives really close so uh she is I don't have to I don't have to have a girl because I can treat her like my girl if I need it yeah, and James's sisters, who's close to us, she's got two gorgeous girls, and then my friend Christine has two gorgeous girls. So I'm surrounded by girls. I just don't have girls. Yeah. And honestly, I think I'm a boy mom anyway. I don't know that I would have known what to do with a girl, really. I think and if I, I and let's person. and if I had one now, first of all, I wouldn't because like we don't have a truck big enough. But the other thing is like, how mean would she be because she's got four older brothers to come after? So. Yeah, uh, she'd be a tomboy for sure. And if she was a girly girl, yeah, we'd be like, uh-oh, what do we do here? Yeah, exactly. So, Yeah, um, well, I, I don't know about you, but when I had uh, 
well, your first one definitely changes your life because you've never been a mom before and you don't know what the heck to do. And um, it is funny because, well, did you read all the books and do all the classes and things, Remy? So we, I read all the books and then we went to one class and this is like the thing that, so we went to like one birthing class. It was free and they show like all the stuff that can happen, right? And how they put the heart monitors on. And then there's like this long stick that has a little screw at the end. And if they can't get the fetal heart monitor to work, they have to stick that in. And I'm like, man, I hope that does not happen, have to happen. Four deliveries and four of those little, like four deliveries and four of those little sticks every time. Because just the way that I'm shaped, it was really hard to get the fetal heart monitor to work every time. And, uh, but you know, I was worried. And I was also like the first of my group of friends really to have kids. Like I had a couple that had kids, but not in my tight group. So I was really out there on my own as far as my age group having kids. Like I had super awesome friends around and super awesome women that were going to give me advice, but you know, they hadn't had kids for 20 years. And so, you know, and then I had to stop Googling things because you, when you're pregnant, you Google everything, it's Down syndrome. And when they're little and you Google everything, it's autism. So I had to stay off of Dr. Google and feel better about my pregnancies but it's it's scary because you are and your first kid you don't know what to expect and everything's new and then if it doesn't feel right how do you fix it because you've never been through it and then by the last one I was like yeah I got this this is easy oh Remy you and I are completely different I <laughs> went to my doctor's appointments but I never stepped foot in the hospital one time I um I did not uh did not read anything I didn't read any books because I knew that if I knew what was about to happen, I would be, I don't even know what I would, I mean, cause I had a C-section. It wasn't supposed to be a C-section with Bodhi, but he was just so big. I mean, Bodhi came out and he looks like he could, he looks like a toddler when he was born. He was two weeks overdue. Um, he was so alert. Just, he just looked so, he didn't look like he just came out of my body. He did. He looked so much older than he was. And then when I had Bronson, I mean, we it was a scheduled cesarean, and I remember going on the we we're on our way to the hospital, and I looked at Brandon and I said, I don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. And he's like, I'm pretty sure that it's too late to turn around now. So we're going in there. I'm like, oh, I I don't do well when I know what lies ahead. So so I like and I I like to read anyway and do research, but you know, like I read what to expect when you're expecting, and there is another book that my sister-in-law gave me, and it was hilarious and it talked about just all the uh it was oh you'll you'll lose the baby weight and other lies they tell you right it was this big, but it was awesome because it was this very kind of sarcastic and frank book and it talked about stuff we all do right you go in for your first appointment and you have to take your pants off and we all like well maybe we all don't do it a lot of us do it where you fold your underwear and hide it in your pants like i did that your ob is going to be looking inside of you why are you hiding your underwear from them but we all do it you know <laughs> And that was a, that was a good book, but you know, I didn't do the hospital tour and it's like, we were joking. So we go in there and I had to be induced on three out of the four deliveries. And we go in for the first one and they tell us like, go ahead and eat. And before you come in, cause you won't be able to eat once you get here. So we go and we eat and we get checked in and I'm walking, we're walking by, they're walking by to take us to our room. And, uh, we hear like these doctors talking to a husband outside and he's like, well, we're going to have to do a C-section because we induced her. It's been 14 hours and she hasn't had it. And so James doesn't look at me because he's hoping I don't hear it. And we get in there and I was like, did you hear that? And he's like, I was so hoping you didn't hear about that because I didn't want to see, you know, I didn't want a C-section. It wasn't a pride thing. I was just like, man, I don't want to cut through my stomach wall that like, and I'm thinking of just all the things that could go wrong that way. And he's like, look, it's just like cattle. If something goes wrong, I'll bring the calf pillars. Everything will be okay. And like, you know, to break the ice. And then my nurse, the first, for my first delivery, her her dad used to own a sale yard in Bakersfield, which is north north of us. And so it was awesome. Like, and that was the same thing. Like, I wasn't really stressed during any of my deliveries. My deliveries were all super, super easy, except for my last one. And honestly, if I had my last one first, I probably wouldn't have had another kid. Because with Kyle, I pushed for 45 minutes. That's my oldest. My next one, I pushed twice. My other one, I waited on the doctor. And the OB nurse is like, don't cough or sneeze or throw up because the baby's going to fall out. And then my last one, because I'd been through three, um, it was a little scary because I'd push and he'd get higher. And he ended up having the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck and his feet and his hands. And my nurse was like, you're just not pushing hard enough. 
was like, I've had three. I'm pretty sure I know how to push. And then she told me it was epidural. That was it. That was making me slower. And so I wouldn't use because they give you like a clicky pen now. So I wouldn't use that. And then the anesthesiologist came in to check on me and like I was crying and I didn't really have pain with any of my other like I didn't have that kind of panic or pain with any of my other deliveries. And I go, well, the nurse said not to. And she's like, no, I'm going to go get the doctor because you shouldn't you shouldn't be in this kind of pain for where he's at. And the doctor came in. I was thankful I had an older doctor. And so he's like, hey, you're going to push once. And if not, we have to do a C-section. And there was a whole C-section team scrubbed in, ready to go. And I pushed and he spun him and then Clayton screamed right away and everything was okay. But like, I mean, I'd had three kids and that was still a very scary delivery for me. And I know there's way worse stories than that. But for me, I'd had like three that were easy. I did not. I mean, like I said, Bodhi was two weeks overdue and uh, they were actually going to let me go a little longer because everything was going good. But Brandon had to leave. And so we had to do a, a scheduled cesarean. And um, actually, it wasn't it wasn't even supposed to be a cesarean at first, but I pushed for I don't even know. They induced me on a Sunday night and I was still pushing at 10 o'clock the next morning. Yeah, I was exhausted and nothing was happening. But Bodhi was, I mean, he was ridiculously long and I could not, I, I, I couldn't get him past his shoulders. So, so I don't know what it feels like to have my water break. I don't know any of, I don't, I don't know any of that because everything was um, induced or cesarean with me. Yeah. Well, like I, all my, and like for me, like my water never broke when I was in the hospital. Like they broke my water every time. So I, I don't know that. I mean, I know what it feels like when it breaks when you're in the hospital. But I, I think it's crazy, too, is because you hear like you see all these people that super love being pregnant. And in the one book I was telling you about, they talk about mommy amnesia. Right. Like you forget how scary or worried or great. Like some people, it's great yeah. for them. And so you forget until you got the next one. You're like, oh, man, I've been here and it's not going to be as easy as I think. And I, I like I said, I was lucky. My first one, I only had the, I was only a hard labor for 45 minutes. It was uh, and I would laugh because the guy that did the epidurals at that hospital he would sit you up because they was talking about how you have to lay down and it's super uncomfortable we would sit you up to do them and i remember i was i never had gray hair and i had my head down like this <laughs> and i see like one single strand of gray and i was like oh my god and james goes it's okay you're roaning out well every other kid like i would only notice him during the epidural because your hair is hanging right here and i was like i have more and more gray with every kid there's more gray so, oh, and yeah, the gray hairs are probably real plentiful now, Remy. Yeah, they're getting there. Mine too. Uh, so funny story with me, with my, um, with Bodie, with Bronson, it felt weird because everybody was here. But uh, when, um, when we had Bodie, I don't, I think I must've been in the hospital for three days and Brandon had to leave on day two. And my mom and dad had my niece's graduation and something else was going on. Well, uh, Brandon's dad was with him, and so that left Brandon's mom with all of their chores, and then I had chores at our house. So my sister-in-law and her cousin brought me and the baby home from the hospital. I was on my own for, I don't know, four days until, with a brand new baby, didn't know what I was doing, no clue. My mother-in-law did come over and cook for me, or she brought me food and helped me clean one day and let me sleep a little bit but yeah new baby didn't know what I was doing and here I was <laughs> and I'll say I'm, I was super lucky like um I didn't change any of the baby's diapers for the first couple weeks with any of them like James changed all the diapers like I was just lucky and he's the oh he comes he's like the second oldest out of seven kids so you know, he'd had his fair share and he's super good with babies. Like he's the guy like in an elevator that all the babies look at, like little kids really like him, but I, I didn't have to change a lot of diapers. There's a lot of stuff I didn't have to worry about. Cause he just took care of it. Remy. Uh, super spoiled. And it was the same thing. Like I'd watched some friends struggle with breastfeeding. And I remember when it was happening and they were so devoted. And I told James, I was like, if this doesn't come easy, like we're going to formula in the house. I'm not fighting this. I'm not going to do all of that. And so Kyle, like I said, he was just an easy baby. You would nurse him. He'd nurse for 15 minutes and he wouldn't want to eat for four hours after that and continuously gaining weight. Like he wasn't getting light. And uh, then my next one would nurse for a half hour and then be hungry a half hour later. And so I pumped a little bit with him. And then I started my second one on formula earlier because it was just taking up too much time. And I never had guilt about it, but I've had a lot of friends that have a lot of, and that's, you know, that's one of the mom guilt things, right? Breast 
is better than fed, you know, it's the whole breast is best or fed is best, but it's like, I, really I, think, I think every situation is different too, you know, and for some people, like I watched some people struggle and take medication to make sure that their breast milk came in and then it added to postpartum depression and it led to all these things. It was easy for me. And if it wasn't easy, I was okay with doing whatever was going to be most efficient and best for my kids. Like, you know, and like, I loved breastfeeding at night because it was quiet. It was just you and the baby. But, you know, I also have no shame. You, Patrick Bray always laughs because we were somewhere. And we were at his house for lunch one day in um, Texas and they had friends over and I was breastfeeding my kid and I pulled my boob out and like went to feeding. And he said, I've never seen that. This other boy that was there is like, I've never seen his face that red. And to me, like it doesn't register, like it didn't register. I wasn't trying to be flashy about it, but like I had a baby that wanted to nurse. I had to nurse the baby. And I just, it didn't, like, it didn't, like, it just didn't cross my mind that it was weird. He was like, I, he's like, we just never gave up on giving that kid grief about it. I was not that woman, but I am with you. Like, for me, I, it is something that I wanted to do, but um, my kids were big eaters, Remy, and I could not produce enough milk for them. I mean, my God, I'm sure the doctors would tell you I can't, or no, no, no on this, but Bodhi was eating so much by the time he was a month old. I was giving him some baby cereal in his bottle because I couldn't. He was just, he was yeah. eating so much and growing. But I um, supplemented with formula too because I, I couldn't. And then I've got my best friends, both of them. They're like milk cows for crepes. Like, yeah. I'm like, I, don't, I mean, they were giving their milk away because they had such a an abundance of it. I'm like, I, I was never like that. No, and I like never really liked the pu to pump. So I pumped a lot with Kyle. I pumped less with Brayden. And then by the third one, I was like, I'm out. I'm out on pumping. I don't want to sit here. I don't want to hear the like <laughs> from the machine. Like I just, I didn't want to pump anymore. And again, like same thing as getting older and having more kids. You're like, it's just, it's not that it's not important. It's not as important as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. I, and some, and there are women out there who they live, you know, they, they want to provide for their baby that way. And that means a lot to them. I was not one of them women, those women, but uh, I, I don't think that it matter. I don't think that there's any rule. Like, I don't think you're less of a woman if you can't breastfeed your baby, provide for them that way. Well, you know, and then you, it's, you see, so one of, there's a girl I went to elementary school with and I hadn't heard anything from her, you know, and I was out of college and we were friends on Facebook, you know, and she ended up getting pregnant. She wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant. She got pregnant. And she sends me all these messages because she's worried about that. She's going to be a horrible mom. Right. And all these things. And I was like, look, you're already worried, which means that you're not going to be a horrible mom. You're, we all make mistakes. We all do things wrong. But if you're already worried about that, then you kind of won half the battle. Right. You're worried about what you're going to do. Like, and she was just worried. Because same thing, she never really planned on having kids. And now she has two beautiful boys. Like, it's been awesome for her. So I talked her kind of through that. I was like, you being worried is a really good sign that you're going to parent correctly or to the best of your ability because yeah. you're worried about it. And then so she went through the delivery. You know, everything was good. And then same thing. She calls me. She's like, I can't produce enough milk. So I sent her all these articles that were fed is best. And if, you know, this is how you can try and produce more milk, but if it doesn't work, it's not, you know, it's not all these things. She ended up having her milk come in, but she told me, she was like, that made me feel so much better to have someone that's got three, because I had three kids at that time. That's not judging me for not breastfeeding. She's mm -hmm. like, well, I know you breastfed. I said, because it worked and it was easy. It wasn't because I was emotionally attached to it. And some people are, I go, but don't you want your kid to be fed and happy? She's like, yeah. And then her milk came in. But I said, so then you, know, you see it with a lot of women that it adds to the stress, right? Their milk doesn't come in and then they get stressed out. And that creates a, like a cortisol, which now stops even more breath, more milk production. Or, you know, you, you want your kid to be fed. And I, I love the meme. That's like, it doesn't matter if you did breast milk or formula or organic cereal or organic baby food. By the time they're four, they're all going to eat French fries off the floor. And it's totally true, you know, like it doesn't matter how careful you are. They're still going to, they're still going to thrive and do the same things. I didn't really feel it um, with Bodhi, but with after Bronson, I felt like, I know you mentioned earlier about just feeding. It was just so time consuming. It did. It felt like all I was doing is feeding, um, changing diapers, nap, you know, laying them down for a nap, getting them to sleep and doing laundry. 
And that, um, that feeling for me was so hard right then. And it's like, it didn't happen. So it didn't happen for me with Kyle. So I had Kyle on a Wednesday and we have a Friday night sorting every Friday. And I came out to announce just for like 10 teams because I didn't want to be in the house. And I strapped him in his car seat, drove out to the arena and announced, but I was lucky to be able to go back to work. My mom was there. I, James was super great with the babies. My babies were easy, but I didn't have to disconnect from my life that much when I had children. And I was super lucky, but I've had some friends that um, it's like, oh, when I have kids, my life's not going to change. I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to do all this. And then you have a kid. And even if you want to do all those things, you can't go back to work right away. And I think people don't talk about that that much as a mother, like how much it changes. And it is glorious, but it's also frightening and suffocating sometimes because it's no longer just you. You're now responsible for someone else until like really the majority of your life. And most of us, you know, we all want to outlive our children. So it's the rest of your life. You're now bound to somebody that's dependent on you. And that dependency changes over years. But you know, if you're a woman that's been working in an office and now you have to be home with a kid, not only do you have all the hormonal changes of having a kid, now you have the lifestyle changes of having a child, and now you're not independent anymore. You don't get to go into the office and break free for, you know, eight hours out of the day. You're stuck at home. And I shouldn't say stuck, but you're at home now. And especially if you really enjoyed your job, it's hard because it's a whole lot. You now become a whole new person. This is a whole new lifetime for you. I think that that's what happened um, to me after I had Bronson is because uh, there's three years in between my boys and with Bodie, I felt like I was just getting my independence back. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then I got pregnant with Bronson and then I had Bronson and then I felt like I had it taken away again. And I know that that sounds so terrible, um, but it is feelings that you go through and and, and some of it's hormonal too. Like it's not all, hormones, but hormonal. Some, you know, some of it's hormonal. So it's like, it, those are real feelings and they're valid feelings. And I think for generations, we told women they weren't valid, right? That's not a good way to feel. You should want to be a mother more than anything. And I think that's what I tried to do in my friendships was be the mom that was there to not judge you and try and give you advice or at least someone to talk to that all those things, and it's the same thing. Like you have fears as a mother, like that you, I, that I, I fear things I never had fear about before, yeah. never. And I was like, I didn't think I was that person. And I had kids. It's like, um, so we went to the lake, and I make my kids wear like my boys all swim, but I make them wear life vests the entire time. It's a really deep lake. But we had someone that's, oh, you should go on a cruise. And I'm telling you, like in my mind, I don't want to go on a cruise because I'm petrified my kids will fall off. Like I'm petrified. I was never that person. And then I had kids and I was just like, <gasps> you know, and it, it scares you and it scares you too, because it makes you feel a little bad about yourself that, you know, rationally, those things aren't going to happen, but you can't stop that fear. You know, you can't let it rule your life. But so I tried to be the mom that was like, Hey, your kid's an asshole. They're going to be an asshole. My kid's an asshole too. Sometimes they're just, you know, and, um, or what you feel, the, that darkness that you feel, it'll go away as long as you recognize it. And, you know, society's gotten a lot better about postpartum depression. I was lucky to not really have postpartum depression. I had the baby blues, but I didn't sink fully into it. But I, and again, my, my hormones just didn't go there. But a, a lot of postpartum depression is hormones and chemical changes. And I think we've gotten better as a society about talking about it. But it was the same thing. You told all these women that what they were feeling wasn't valid and they should just really enjoy this snuggly little baby well, I don't even know if uh, that's it, Remy. I think that because we're women and we feel like we've got superpowers. And so then you really feel like shit when you, when you get postpartum because you feel like you're less. You shouldn't. You feel like you shouldn't feel that way. I was embarrassed probably because I did get it. Um, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to go to the doctor. I was embarrassed. I mean, I was just because I had the irrational thoughts, my irrational thoughts were, um, I didn't even want to go and I didn't want to go in a vehicle with all of us. Like if it, I didn't, I didn't, because I, in my head, I had formulated that if we got in an accident, who was going to take care of the, I didn't want to go with just Brandon and I, I didn't want to go with the kids because I thought if we, something happened and we died, 
then who would take care of them? Even though I had all of that stuff figured out and it doesn't even matter. I mean, it was just irrational thinking that I've never in a million years thought, but I stopped myself from doing a lot of things because I was so scared about things that I'd never even in a million years thought about. And I think as long as more people are starting to be open about it, it also makes you feel less alone. It's not that that's the cure for postpartum depression because it isn't. But if you don't feel so alone, you can reach out to someone and someone can help you. Or And then it helps other people too recognize it, right? If other people can recognize that you're struggling a little bit, then they can reach out and help even if you don't want the help. And, you know, that's the hard part about being a woman too is you don't want the help because either you're embarrassed and you feel less than or you just think if I muscle through this, you know, if I just get to tomorrow, it'll be better. And it does, it isn't always better. And so if you have friends that love you enough to make themselves uncomfortable and help you out, that's awesome. That's what it took for me. I had a friend that, a friend that I don't even see very often um, or talk very often, but she ran into me and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay. And she's like, I mean, I know you and I don't, I maybe she's like, do you have some of these symptoms? And she had just been to the doctor for something very similar. And she's actually the one who talked me into going to see the doctor. And the doctor was like, oh, my. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, you. what do they do? They check, you get one six-week checkup after you have a kid, right? Yeah. They want to check that everything's healing. Are you feeling okay? Good. And they're going to hustle you out the door. And I get it. But if you don't have, uh, and a lot of times it's your partner doesn't want to say something because they don't want to upset the apple cart. Well, and they don't know. And they don't know. And it's like, you know, know, I have a one of my really good friends dealt with postpartum depression. And um, I've had a couple friends really deal with it. And one of them, I could really see it in her. And I told her spouse and he was like, no, she's fine. I was like, but she's not fine. I go, and you know, I had the same conversation with you. I was like, he knows you're crazy. Let him in on your crazy. Like, let him help with your crazy. But, you know, but it's the same thing. I can handle it. I, I've, I've worked hard. I don't need help. I don't need any of these things. But it takes someone else and like, look, I'm blunt enough to be that friend and tell you like, this is not okay. And it will be okay, but you've got to get some help. You've got to get some sleep. And that's the other thing is there's a lot of women that don't either don't have a spouse or don't want to, or a partner or don't want to let their partner do enough. Like I was lucky. I got to sleep aside from feedings. James changed the diapers. I did, you know, if they needed their diaper changed, he'd wake up and change the diaper that that means that I would get at least four to six hours of uninterrupted sleep, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for a new mom, that's a lot. Yeah, you know, it is a lot. And so you couple chemical changes and hormone changes with not enough sleep and then a feeling of panic. And there's a lot of panic in new moms. You couple that all together and it's a bad storm, especially when, you know, being a mom is supposed to be celebrated all the time, but it's difficult to come through that. And then I had another friend, she dealt with postpartum with her first pregnancy and her second pregnancy, she was ready to deal with it. Like she was ready to get medication. She was ready to get help. And she saw it, felt it coming, got it handled. And, you know, she's been a lot happier for it, but she was strong enough to be aware of that was a shortcoming for her. And it's not really, it's not her fault, but, you know, she was aware that she, she looked for the symptoms before they showed up this time. I feel like we talk about as we get older a lot and everything that we talk about, but I think um, that's so true about motherhood too, because, you know, it's, you go through so many different seasons. I mean, you have the baby season and then you have, um, they start to get into school season. And then when they start to gain, they hit puberty, they start to gain their independence and then they leave your house and then, you're an empty nester. Um, I think that there's just so many seasons of motherhood. And I don't think that your your worries or uh, your stresses change from when they when they're a baby. I think it carries through their whole their whole lives. No, and it's like so some people really love the baby stage. That was also not my favorite. Like my favorite part of the baby stage is those you know, those two o'clock feedings, but those are also, if you think, I mean, maybe this isn't true for you. Like those are the times when all those gray and dark thoughts creep in, right? What could go you're wrong alone. when you're alone and it's just you and the baby and it, they're so fragile and small and so sweet. Like, and then it's crazy because my oldest one is going to be 10 next week or this week actually. And um, like, he's his whole little independent person, right? With thoughts and emotions and feelings. And all of my boys are, but you watch them and it's like, 
oh, that's a person. And like, they're one of my co-stars in, in my life, right? Like I'm the main star, the main character, but like they have a whole other life aside from me. Like when they go to school, right? I'm just a guest star in their life eventually. And that's, it's so frightening to think that they have this whole universe around them that you're going to be a part of, but you're not the main part of it. And you don't even know what happens to it. I know. Uh, so I would say that right now my kids' ages, even though puberty is a little weird, um, but uh, what my kids' ages are right now, I love this time. I just being able to have fun with them, being able to watch them, give them a little um, rope to make their own decisions and choices and, and watch them grow as, you know, little tiny humans. Uh, that's been fun for me. Um, I was going to say something around that. Now I can't remember what it was, Remy. No, and it's like, you know, we talk about it. Like, so we were talking before we got on here about our biggest fears. Like my biggest was, go ahead. My, like my two biggest fears is one that I pass on any trauma that I've had onto my children. Right. Like, because we're all broken in some way, right? It doesn't matter if you're the Pinterest mom or the Martha Stewart mom or the hot mess mom or the fun mom or the sporty mom, because I honestly think all moms are a piece of all of those. And, but you know, we all have some damage done to us at some point. And how do you stop that from transferring to your kid and do less damage to them than that was done to you? No matter how great your life was, there's still damage that was incurred somewhere along the way. And for me, it's like, so, my, I have a lazy eye, right? So I don't look and it, I had surgery to make it better. I've had multiple surgeries, but it still wanders. I don't look at people in the eye a lot and it bothers people because they think they're being dismissive. Well, it's something I'm very embarrassed of. Like it bothers me a lot. And so I grew up with that as a coping mechanism to not look at people in the eye. And so I make sure my boys do, but like, I don't want to pass that on to them, right? Like, I don't want to pass on not being direct with people and not looking at them and having them not address you because that's my fault. You know, like that's my character flaw. And um, I worry about passing on any trauma to them or creating new trauma that I didn't even mean to create. Not that we ever mean to create trauma, but you know, you don't want to create trauma for your children. You want everything to be perfect. And then at the same time, it's like, we've talked about bad times are also what makes strong people. So how do you make them independent and still keep them soft and loving? And it's a whole new world. And I'm so glad that I have that they haven't hit puberty yet. But it's one of those things where it's like they're living in a new world of social media and everything being videoed and everything being readily accessible. So how do we parent? Because I'm not parenting the same kids that my parents were parenting. No. And they didn't parent, the, you know, and they didn't parent the same kids that their parents parented. So it's like, how do I teach my boys to be kind and loving and accepting? and still being strong and firm in their beliefs. And it's a, it's a balancing act. I, well, there's a couple things that I, my biggest fears are, but um, I think that we talked about it last week that I, I suck at the parties and all the things. And um, I don't, not that I don't make a, I, I don't know. I guess I don't make a big deal out of it. Um, and it sucks because that's who I am. We do very relaxed parties that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't make a huge deal out of birthday parties. We've done a few. Do my, I don't know if my kids, I don't know. I look around and I see all these other moms. And I'm like, God, they're so good. They're hauling their kids to sporting events, like multiple per day, every day. They're doing huge birthday parties. Um, I do so many other things with my kids, though, that I don't think that other people do. So maybe maybe it all evens out. But my fear is they'll be like, yeah, my mom never gave me that birthday party, that cool birthday party. My mom never, um, my mom did, I did a lot of sporting events with Bodie, but Bronson's probably lacking on the sporting events. But I don't know how much, you know, you worry, like, does that shape their adulthood? Are they going to hold or resent that against me? I never hear them complain about it. So I don't know. No, and I think it's one of those things, too. It's like, and I know, like, your boys are different. I have four boys, and none of them want the same thing. 
So then it's like you get split so many ways. And it was great when there was two, because if one wanted to do something and the other one wanted to do something else, you could just split them up. But I have the same thing, right? Am I not doing enough or am I doing too much? Because that's what I worry about too. Like um, we went down to the beach on the on July 3rd and like we love it down there. The boys hang out, they go boogie boarding, they build giant sand castles, all this stuff. And then we went to the fair the next day and it's like they always wanted more stuff. And it's like, so I've made you spoiled. And it's not that my boys are bad, but they're so used to having so much stimulation. I was like, how was yesterday? We were at the beach and you weren't really doing a lot of things and you were happy. And now you want more things today. So how do you teach your kids to earn something when you still want to give it to them? It's the same thing when I go to like Target, right? It's so easy to buy stuff for your kids, even if they're not asking for it. Even if they're not with you, you're like, oh, they would really like this or they would like that. And then you give it to them. So how are we creating, how are we creating good citizens that want to give back and do stuff for other people? And I feel like my boys are, we really, like we make them do odd jobs for money. They have to clean, they help with the cattle, they do all sorts of stuff. But again, it's that fine line. How do I give them everything I want to give them and not have them be entitled and not have them be spoiled? Because I don't want to be 10 years down the road and be in a train wreck because I created bad boys. Now my boys aren't bad, but you know, you have to think about that because you won't always be there to parent, right? You're not always going to be there to protect them. And then that is another big fear. Like how do you create a good citizen out of your child so that they continue to be a good citizen for the rest of their life? I think it's just continuing to teach them right from wrong and letting them learn from their mistakes and lessons. I think that that is sometimes the learning from the mistakes it's hard as a parent to let them learn and not step in, but it's the best thing for them is to have to take those consequences on, even at a young age. I mean, I've had, I mean, we've had a couple of things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks and uh, yeah, I, I just, nobody's gotten hurt or anything like that. It was just really good life lessons that they got to learn and take the consequences for. And I think that they'll be better because of it. No, and I, I think I think you see that with a lot of people too. Like they talk about helicopter parenting. Like I'm not a helicopter parent. Like if I right, if I told you you could go build the fort, but to be careful with the like the screw gun, and you got hurt, as long as you're not gravely injured, well, you're not going to do that again. Me and but you are on the same page with that. Yeah, you know, and it's mm-hmm. and, but it is scary, you know. And then you have other stuff just happen randomly. Like my um, my second oldest broke his collarbone on a scooter, like not even a cool scooter. It was like the little, like the little tight red scooter. Like it wasn't even a cool scooter. And it was one of those deals where it's like, I told you not to do that on that. And it's horrible. And he got really upset and he, cause he couldn't play baseball for a while and he couldn't ride, which was devastating to him. But you know, now he's a little bit more cautious. Not that my boys are super cautious, but they have to find that, you know, it's like, don't touch hot things. You're going to get burned and you want them to get burned just enough that they don't touch hot things anymore. You don't want there to be lasting damage, but you know, and like our, our boys go to a smaller school here and they give away something called the love lead and learn awards. And um, so the school is preschool through eighth grade and they gave them away from kindergarten to second grade, third through fifth grade, and then sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So they give it to three boys in each of those. So one boy per section and then um, one girl per section. Well, my boys won two out of the three boy awards for the whole school, which makes me feel really good. And then you hear some of the stories of why they won them. And I was like, okay, well, we are doing a good job. And they're surrounded by people that are making them do a good job. And I think that's the other thing, you know, like you hear that not everyone has a mom tribe. And I understand not everyone wants one or not everyone's available, but I'm so lucky because I have someone that's going to go swap my kid on the butt if he's being bad, but they're also going to tell me that he said thank you for everything that they did or that they saw him act kindly in some way without knowing that anyone was watching. And, you know, so many people are afraid to say something to someone about their kid and not that you have to just be mean all the time, but if you see a kid doing something wrong, let their parent know because maybe they don't know. Yeah. You know, and I think we all have to have some Commonwealth parenting out here because it's, it's a new world. Yeah. Um, well, you and I talked last week too about well, we've had some changes, a lot of changes. Brennan and I were both, um, we went through the public school system and our kids started out in the public school system. But just right now, because of the way our life is, we've chosen to homeschool them. And some days I, 
don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Um, I know that they get a lot of neat experiences and opportunities because of it. It's just hard because it's a road we've never been down before. And I'm like, shit, I don't want to screw my kids up. But I don't know. No, and I mean, I think we're all out here doing the best we can with what we have. But it's it's like going back to what you were talking about earlier, right? That you don't do the big parties. Well, so you don't do the big parties, but they get to go everywhere with you. And so while they might want the big parties, the kid that had the big parties might have just wanted to spend more time yeah. in the truck with his parents, you know? And I, I think that's the other thing that you realize as you get older, right? You see the movies, like with the Christmases and the snow and the cabin and everything's perfect. And it's never like that. Them. No matter how easy you try and make your life, it's not it's like never that. like that, you know? No. And it's like when you talk to people too, like I... I don't like speaking with people that are very disingenuously positive, right? Like everything's perfect all the time. There's nothing wrong. You're like, not, not one bad day. Everything's perfect. Your kids do everything they're supposed to do. Your, yes. your partner does everything because it's not real and it's not genuine. Now I don't think the inverse is true. I don't like people that are negative all the time, but it's like, you know, when my friends will call me, she's like, I just, I can't deal with these kids today. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You can't deal with them. Like, you know, do you want me to actually come help? You just want to vent. Well, I just want to tell you. And so, they vent and it makes them feel better. I was like, yeah, my kids did that too. And guess what? Tomorrow it won't be, you know, it won't be that way, yeah. but it's, it's tough. It's tough. Like I always joke, I always have a favorite child, whatever child's being really good at the moment. That's my favorite child. One. You know, um, and, and there, I love it. Cause my boys are so different. It's like having four little best friends that are completely different and add to your way, add your life in different ways. Absolutely. My oldest is a helper. He helps me with everything. My little one, he does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like my, my oldest one is super, he's just a softer kid. He is super empathetic. He's very sweet. He's very kind. He thinks about everyone. He, he's always trying to do, you know, he's trying to do the best of all possible things and keep an even keel. And my second one is also very sweet. He's the other, so my oldest two are the ones that won the awards. And he's very sweet, but there's like fire to him, right? He's going to, Kyle's not going to start a fight, but he'll stand up for it. Well, I think Brayden's probably going to end up being the one looking for a fight, right? Like he's going to see an injustice instead of waiting for it to come to him. He's going to go fight it, which is great as long as I can keep him out of trouble long enough to have a leg to stand on. And again, like how do you raise men in, like raise good men in the world that we live in? Oh, you know, because how do you, how do you tell, how do you tell those boys that they have to be strong and firm, but still understand that everyone's life has value, that everyone's belief have value as long as, you know, like, and I always tell the boys, and we were talking to some friends about this yesterday, love everyone first and then figure out the rest. But, you know, it, it's tough because we are coming out of generations of you're not supposed to be emotional. You're not supposed to be all this, which leads to bad. Not that you're not supposed to have, the, you know. You want to have a strong man that'll still understand that there's emotions out there and deal with them rather than put your head down, work hard, and then get burnt out. And that's what I'm trying to deal with my boys is, okay, your, your emotions are valid. Your thoughts are valid. But to what point? And can you articulate them? And how important are they? Because a lot of times, like, especially I see with the boys, if you let them tell you why they're upset, well, then they stop being upset because they just wanted to be heard for a minute about yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, I my I feel like we're the same way. Then we talk about it, and then I'm like, well, deal with it, and let's move mm -hmm. on. Um, talking, I well, one of the things I was gonna ask was, what's your biggest mom guilt? I think my biggest mom guilt, honestly, is, and I I'm guilty of this. I know when you talk to other horse trainers or ranchers, we're all guilty of it, right? It'll just be a minute. I just need you to help me for like, I just need, I just, I just, I just, and it's never just a minute. Right. So we put them on hold and we don't let them talk or we shove them somewhere. We have them help. And yes, it's character building, but at the same time, you're telling them that they're not important and they shouldn't. The other thing is they shouldn't be the most important thing. And I think that sounds horrible as a mother too, but your children shouldn't be the only important thing in your life. There's a whole, like, you know, work is important. Your, your partner's important. All those things are important. And you can't drop everything for your kids, but sometimes you need to. And so, again, it's finding that balance is, does this need to be done when they want to go do this and they've been so good all day about helping? 
could I put off this task until tomorrow? You're like, my boys are usually down for an adventure. They help me feed cows. You know, James yesterday went to go check cows south of us. And so they helped put out supplement and jump in the back of the truck and do all that. And for them, it's fun. It's an adventure. But there's been so many times where it's like, oh, I want to go swimming. Okay, well, can you just help me do this first? And it's, it's, I worry that I've put them off for so long that again, they're going to dislike me later. Now, I don't think they dislike me now, but they might look back at the same thing. Like, well, you didn't, we were always doing, we were always working. My little one yesterday is like, why do we always have to work? I was like, this is how we make money. We always have to work. But, how, and then how you instill, going back to the work-life balance, how do you instill in them a good work-life balance when you haven't had it? Now, James and I have tried to be much better about it lately, but when we were younger, all we did was work. I will, going back to what you said earlier about um, it's good to have a life. I don't know how you said it. You said something about, um, you have to have other things in life yeah. besides your children, right? And or maybe you didn't say it like that. Yeah, it, it's like they're not the only important thing in your life. Yes. And I feel kind of guilty about that some days because I'm like, oh, I need a break for my kids. I need a break for my kids. But as soon as they leave, I'm like, I want them back. I want them back. I can't. It's so weird because I think in my head I want them to have a break, but I can't handle being away from them. So I must love the chaos because they fight like crazy. Oh, they're crazy fighters, but. But they, they fill those little voids in your heart when they're there, like when they're just close. And it's true, right? You're like, I, I just want to be away from, like James and I went to go look at some stuff a couple days ago. So we were gone. They stayed with my mom. And like the last night, I was like, I just want to be home. I just want to see the boys. I just want to talk to them. I want to laugh with them. I want to hug them. And it's true because, again, that's mom guilt too, right? You you want to be away from them so badly. Then as soon as they leave, you're like, man, I miss them. Mm-hmm. You know, though, Remy, so I think that it's like I look around at a lot of uh, just like when the kids were in school, some of the kids that they went to school with. And I think that those kids would love the life that our kids get to lead, both of them. We don't do anything extravagant, but it's the simplicity of being with them all the time. And like, for instance, we live on a farm in Minnesota, but we've got Lakeshore, 600 feet of Lakeshore that's right across the road from our house. So we have water toys down there and Bronson had friends over on Sunday night. They stayed in the horse trailer. Well, we got up and we did chores and we couldn't find them. It was like, oh my gosh, where are they? They were already down at the lake. They were playing in the water with their friends. And that didn't cost, well, it cost us whatever the farm costs us, but it didn't, it doesn't cost us anything. It's pretty simple. That's something that they're always going to remember doing. Like, I don't know. As much as I worry about that kind of stuff some days, I also think that there's beauty in the simplest of of things. And maybe it's not huge, lavish vacations. And maybe it's not the big birthday parties that we don't do (laughs) simply because their mother's not a planner. Well, it's like, so we have cow pastures all around us and there's like my boys, what they love to do, especially, and we only do it in the winter and spring when it's green up there, but we just go and shoot tracks up there. So they like to shoot a little bit, but really what they like to do is we go and we get food, we have a picnic, and then they go on a hike and they won't come back for an hour, right? They're trying to find arrowheads. There aren't any up there or dinosaur teeth. Also none of those, but you know, they, it's four boys hiking away from you to go have an adventure. And that's their favorite time. Now we go to Disneyland, we go a lot of places and still their favorite times is kind of being with us and just doing something different. Something that costs nothing really, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything. Your time. Yeah. And that's all they want. And I think that's hard because especially when you're busy, it's so easy to not give them enough of your time, you know, and it's like, you you know, there's that, that story that goes around. It's like, dad, how much do you get paid per hour? Well, why do you want to know? So I can buy an hour of your time and, you know, you're never going to look back and regret spending that time with your children. No. But it's hard. It's hard when you're first of all, when you're a young mom and you, you feel like you're suffocating again, you know, and not everyone, not every mom feels that way. But if you feel like you're suffocating, it's it's hard to realize that you're going to get through that. And then you're going to have these super awesome kids that are so much fun to be around. Like they make me laugh. Like all my kids make me laugh all the time. They're so like yeah, they're funny, funny boys. 
you know, and it's the same thing. It's like um, my oldest boy, Kyle, gives the best hugs and he, he has this knack for it. Like someone will be having a bad day and he'll just walk over and it's not just the family. It's like friends and everything. He'll give them a hug and someone will come up and be like, I didn't realize I needed that hug and I really needed it. So it's great to hear stuff about that with, you know, about your kids with stuff like that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Both of my kids are really social. I can't imagine how, where they got that from. <laughs> and both of them are super funny. Like, I think that's the funnest part about as they age is being able to hang with them and the stuff that comes out of their mouth. I mean, that's probably my favorite. My favorite memories with my kids thus far is um, we do drive a lot. We do get to travel a lot via truck. And uh, I love going down the road with my kids, literally being in the truck because we have the best conversations because we're, nobody can go anywhere. We are right there with the dogs, you know, four dogs, two kids, me and Brandon. And we have super funny conversations and I feel like it's a time when they have our undivided attention. Uh, so no. And it's like, so we have playlists for the boys, right? They pick us off. Like, so they all, you know, we just keep adding to it. And part of the thing I, why I won't take any of the songs off of the playlist is I want them as we get older to keep that playlist to look back because they're all kind of tied to different memories. And for me, like I notice it, especially like, so we're out feeding cows, right? So Cause you're in the truck, it's quiet. There's no distractions. And it's funny to hear all the different sense of humors because Kyle's is not the same as Brayden's. Brayden's the eight-year-old. And he's like very, very dry. He's very funny. And you'll look at him cause you're like, did he just say that? And he'll kind of like wink at you. And you're just like, oh my, he meant to be that funny because you're like, that was too clever. That was too quick to be yeah. coming from an eight-year-old, but it, you know, it happens. And then my um, a six-year-old Trent, he's built, like we always joke, he's built like a show hog. Like he's all muscle. He's just muscle bound. And that kid laughs with like his whole belly and his head goes back and he's got double dimples. He's got a dimple here and a dimple up. So he's got the normal cheek dimples and he's got some higher by his eyes. And like, you just see him. And then my youngest one who's four is like a little devil, but he, you know, he does something then he smiles and he nods at you and you know that he was trying to do it. And then he laughed, like he laughs hysterically because he thought it was funny. And you don't see that all the time if you're always looking at something, you're always watching a screen or they're always looking for outside stimulation. But when, you know, they're joking with each other about catching frogs or cutting down a tree or whatever they're doing, it makes you really appreciate that you've got these four little young men running around. Absolutely. I know. I uh, think this season in my life that I'm least looking forward to is when they're gone, the day that they're gone or no longer living under my roof. Maybe they will always live under my roof. I don't know. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's the worst part. If you're a good parent, they leave you, right? That's yeah. Like, it's so you just, and it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like I catch glimpses of my boys if I have to drop something off at school and they're a whole different person at school. It doesn't mean they're better or worse, but this is that whole other life. And I'm like, man, there's going to be a season where I'm not that important to you anymore. I know. Mine's coming closer. My season is coming closer because my oldest is 14. Yeah. But, well, um, we should probably wrap it up, Remy. Yeah. We're coming up on an hour here. Uh, good talk today. I don't, I think that there's no right or wrong answer to how you parent your kids, just as long as you give them the most love that you can give them and spend the most, uh, most time, and you know, undevoted time with them as you can, I think. Yeah. And the other thing, just going back to the first half of our conversation, if you or somebody you know is dealing with postpartum depression, don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable. You can send us private messages and we can steer you in the right direction. We're also always here to listen. And again, if you see someone struggling, try and reach out. I think it is, it is just somebody to listen to you. I mean, obviously Remy, neither Remy or I are professionals at any of this, but we are mothers. We've been through some of this stuff. Uh, no judgment because no judgment at all. And that's why I say like, if we can't help you, if it's more than an ear, you need to listen to, at least we can try and find some resources for you that are professional and can help yeah. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys again for joining us. We'll be back on next Wednesday at two. Do we have any idea what we're going to talk about next week? Yet? I don't know. You sent me a list and then I didn't look, I mean, I looked at it, but I didn't write it down. So, and then we will revisit, 
more motherhood things later on in the season. Yeah. Oh yeah, because this is more than an hour conversation. <laughs> so, all right, have a great week, guys. Uh, be sure to check out our Apple Podcast. Um, go like it on the Apple Podcast site for us. That'd be awesome. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week, guys. Bye, guys.